Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. With the goal of educating and empowering women, each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the As A Woman podcast. Today we are talking about low ovarian reserve. And this is a topic I feel really passionately about because I think number one, you deserve to know what your ovarian reserve is if having a baby in the future is a goal. Number two, too many people dismiss low ovarian reserve under the rug, tell you you have no options, or tell you something false about it. And that is just not cool to me. So today we're going to break down what ovarian reserve is, what it means if it's low, reasons why it could be low, and how you need to approach your fertility moving forward. But first, we're going to talk about fertility in the news. So there was an article published recently in CNN that says, unmarried woman loses bid to freeze her eggs and sparks a gender equality debate in China. This is a fascinating story. A 30-year-old woman in China Xu Zhaozhao was unmarried, and in 2018, she went to a doctor and she wanted to freeze her eggs. This is a procedure that is banned in China for single women. She says the doctor told her, get married and have children instead. And she sued the hospital the following year, saying that this was an unfair decision to her. The court just this July ruled against her, saying that the hospital has the right to refuse the request. And this has ignited a social media debate showing the discrimination against single women in China. And part of this is because rules issued by China's National Health Commission in the early 2000s allow single men to freeze their sperm, but they block single women from freezing their eggs. To make this even more interesting, China is having a population problem. Whereas they used to have a one-child policy trying to prevent the population from rising, that has resulted in so many people not having children. And so in 2015, the one-child policy was ended, and now families can have up to three children. But these efforts have honestly been met with limited success. So it's interesting that they're limiting egg freezing when the government is trying to push to increase its birth rate. But in an official notice from China's National Health Commission, they listed many reasons why the ban should stay, including that it could give women false hope and it could delay their reproduction plans. But as we know, egg freezing actually extends your reproductive years and allows you to conceive at a time when you might not otherwise been able to. If you delay your reproduction but you have frozen eggs, you have a much higher chance of being able to have a child later on versus the alternative, find a husband and get married and have children the other way, is not always available to everybody. 
And so I think this is a very misogynistic law, and I think it's very eye-opening how it's okay for men to do one thing, but not for women. And obviously, this resonates here with what we're seeing in the states right now, with reproductive rights issues being highly targeted against women and in favor of controlling their reproductive rights in their future. I also think it's a representation of how bad things can get, and obviously they can get worse than that. But just thinking about the fact that there's often some reproductive autonomy that we have taken for granted, and we need to be voices and be loud about why that autonomy over what happens to your body is important and why you should get a say and if you freeze your eggs or if you need to use IVF or if you need to terminate a pregnancy. They are all connected. But now I want to dive into the topic of this episode, and that is low ovarian reserve. So this is a topic that is really near and dear to me because every patient who has ever come in and found out that they have low ovarian reserve is a little bit broken about it when they get the news. They feel like they did something wrong or they feel like this idea of having a family has been totally taken away from them. And it probably has not, or maybe it has not been, but you very well might need to look at your reproductive goals and your future differently And that's really what I want you to think about today. So we are going to talk about what ovarian reserve is, how we test for it, and then deep dive into what it means if it is low. So ovarian reserve is essentially the amount of eggs that you have remaining. So every woman is born with a set number of eggs. Over the course of your life, eggs leave and you end up with no eggs remaining and that's considered menopause. The analogy that I like to use is to imagine that there's a vault inside your ovary where all these eggs are kept. So they're all stored in the vault, and each month a group of eggs, not just one, is actually released from the vault. From that group, one egg is chosen to ovulate, the rest of them die, and the next month another group comes out. Now, the size of the group or the number of eggs that is released from the vault, that number is proportional to how many eggs you have remaining. So when you think about it, The more eggs you have inside the vault, the more that come out every month. And the fewer you have, the less that come out every month. So I think of the vault as this self-correcting mechanism. When it's full, it shoves more out. When it's empty, it keeps more inside. Now, sadly, there is no way for us to see inside the vault. That just does not exist. However, we can evaluate the eggs that are outside the vault. And that is what is giving us an idea of our ovarian reserve. So the two tests that we do include number one, something called an antral follicle count or an AFC, and number two, an AMH or an anti-mullerian hormone, which is a blood test. Now, important concepts before we go over the details of those. The vault is not perfect. So you're actually going to have a different number of follicles coming out of the vault each month. And we say follicles because those are small fluid-filled structures that you can see on ultrasound, but really there's one egg inside each follicle. So for the purposes of talking follicle equals egg. So you have this group of follicles that comes out of the vault and it's not going to be the same. So if I say, oh, for a 30-year-old, 20 follicles per month is average, that doesn't mean it's 20 every month. So it might be 20, then 18, then 19, then 21, then 20. It's going to hop around a little bit. So you're going to get a different AFC or antral follicle count every single month. Similarly, you'll get a different AMH every single month if you checked it that often. We don't usually tend to do that because it's just a representation of a category. Are you normal, above average, below average, or critically low? AMH is made from the cells that surround all of the follicles outside the vault. 
And AMH is more of a reflection of the prior three months and not just this one month independently. And so I like to use these two factors together, the AFC plus the AMH, to understand where you are in terms of ovarian reserve and your age. And just like the follicle count, when there's more eggs inside the vault, more eggs come out, there's more cells making AMH and AMH is higher. And when there's fewer eggs, fewer come out, lower AMH. So these numbers together are helping us understand your ovarian reserve, number of eggs you have. This number does not reflect your egg quality. That is very important. And I'm going to touch on that in a moment. So this episode, though, is mostly about low ovarian reserve. And so what does that mean? That means as part of a fertility evaluation or a fertility check, you find out that you have fewer eggs coming out of the vault every month than your age match peers. And I want you to think about there being different levels of this, meaning there's critically low, there's very low, there's mild, because those are all different representations of where you are. Number one, this is putting fire under your feet, that it's time to think really hard about your future and your reproductive goals. And it's time to make forward progress some way, somehow, or realize what happens if you don't. There's no right or wrong choice here, but I want you to be the one in control of your future and not just the result of your actions. So I want you to be the one saying, okay, I understand this, here's my choices, and I'm choosing this, and I feel good with whatever happens down the road. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy, and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No line shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperature starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan, It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. 
to get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash AAW and click get started. Then use the code AAW at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. So finding out you have low ovarian reserve can be quite a shock to your system. And if you're listening to this and this has happened to you, I'm giving you a hug. And if you're listening to this and you know one of your friends or family members or somebody you work with has been diagnosed with this, give them a hug, okay? Because this is hard stuff. Number one, most of the time we don't know why this happens. Maybe it is you're born with a different number of eggs. You just were born with less. Maybe you ran out at a faster rate. Sometimes we do test to try to look for this if you have very severely low reserve at a young age, we often will do a small workup. However, 85 to 90% of the time, you're left with something called idiopathic. So idiopathic means we don't know. It's probably one of our least favorite things in medicine because, you know, we like to know the answers. However, if you get idiopathic low ovarian reserve, we are left with the fact that probably there was some insult when happened when you were a baby inside your mother's womb that The environment then, toxins she was exposed to, something else, probably destroyed your eggs from the get-go. So likely something that you did not do. And I think that is really important to hear. Other things that can cause low ovarian reserve that we check for. Number one is genetics. So sometimes you can have a genetic reason. This is going to be highly suspicious if your mom or your aunt or your sisters started running out of eggs at an earlier age. So we always look at a karyotype to see if you have a normal number of chromosomes or could you have something... That could make you a mosaic or a mosaic for what we call Turner syndrome, which means a partial deletion or missing X chromosome. There's also something called fragile X syndrome, which is a duplication, a series of repeats on the X chromosome that gets bigger with each generation. And it is a known cause of going into low ovarian reserve or premature ovarian failure early. These are important because they can be passed down to future generations. So if you're trying to get pregnant, and you carry one of these genetic markers, you're going to want to talk to your doctor and to genetics about what this could mean. Do you want to try to have kids naturally? If you have fragile X, what's the size of the expansion? It gets bigger in each generation. So what's the chance of passing it on? And if a male infant is affected with fragile X, they can have something called fragile X mental retardation syndrome, which is a really severe learning disability. So it's important to get tested genetically. So fragile X and a karyotype or a chromosome count. From there, we're also going to want to look for some other top causes. And one of these could be autoimmune diseases. 
So specifically, we tend to look at autoimmune thyroid disease. So we do a thyroid panel, including those thyroid antibodies, TPO, thyroid peroxidase, and TG, thyroid globulin. And we also go and often draw adrenal antibodies. The thought here is that if you have some autoimmune disease yourself or in your family, that there could be antibodies that attack those ovarian cells also, resulting in destruction of your eggs. And so you're running out of them at a faster pace. And I find patients who have a history, if their family or themselves of autoimmune disease, can sometimes have low ovarian reserve. And so again, nothing you did wrong. This is just your body's attacking itself and the ovary ends up being one of those cell lines that gets attacked. Controlling your primary autoimmune disease may help, but also may not help at all. Those are the classic things we can check for, but let's think about what else can cause low ovarian reserve. So having any type of prior ovarian surgery. So you've had an ovary removed, you've had multiple cysts taken out, that can drop your egg count significantly, as can endometriosis. Endometriosis is an inflammatory condition where tissue that's like the endometrium or the lining of the uterus grows in areas that are outside of the uterus, mainly the abdominal cavity, fallopian tubes, ovaries, on your intestines. And this causes inflammation each time your body makes estrogen. It stimulates these tissues and then your body attacks it in an autoimmune fashion. And so patients with endometriosis can have a decrease in their egg count. They can also develop these really destructive ovarian cysts called endometriomas. Some people have no signs of endometriosis. It can only be seen on ultrasound if you do have those endometriomas present. It is truly a diagnosis by surgery. But some of the symptoms, if you do have them, are painful periods, pain with intercourse, GI symptoms that don't really make sense. So diarrhea, constipation, bloating, especially changing when you're on your period, meaning getting worse. So if you have endometriosis and you know it, which some people do, you very well may get put on birth control pills when you're younger to try to extend your fertility by preventing the disease from growing at the same pace it may without suppression. And I always recommend, please consider freezing your eggs or starting your family at a slightly earlier age. Endometriosis we know is destructive. So if you know you have it, you're at risk and freezing your eggs could be a good thing. Other things that can cause a drop in your ovarian reserve do include certain toxins like chemotherapy, smoking cigarettes, and probably smoking marijuana and other environmental contaminants like BPA. Very often you have no control over those things now. Like if you had chemo because you had cancer, you needed to have that chemo. And even if your periods resume afterwards and you didn't go into ovarian failure, that doesn't mean your egg count is normal. We know studies have shown a significant drop in the number of remaining eggs. You're still likely to go into early menopause and you might be in low ovarian reserve right now. So those are things. If you smoke cigarettes, number one modifiable factor. So please, please consider stopping. And if you're around somebody who smokes, secondhand smoke can cause the same level of damage. All right, so you find out you have low ovarian reserve. And then what does this mean? You probably will go to Google it. Hopefully you found this podcast. But there's so much misinformation that's out there. And I think that that is really hard for us to understand. So when we think through what can happen, I want you to number one, realize this does not mean you are infertile. Low ovarian reserve or diminished ovarian reserve, DOR, does not cause infertility. And optimizing your egg quality is going to be really helpful to control what you can. One thing I want to say before we go further is that hormonal birth control 
can actually cause a low AMH. I like to think of it as a suppressed AMH. It's not actually hurting your eggs. But how these hormonal methods work is by suppressing FSH or follicle-stimulating hormone from the brain. When it's constantly suppressed, the cells that surround all those follicles, the granulosa cells, the ones that make AMH, become not as active when the follicles are never growing. And so it is a temporary suppression. When you stop the hormonal birth control, you find that your levels return. So it's really like an artificial drop. This does not mean you actually have a change in your ovarian reserve. It's decreased cellular activity, not decreased number. So do you check ovarian reserve if you're on birth control? Here's my thought. Yes, I do. And if it comes back normal, fantastic, you're not worried. And if it comes back low, you have a choice to make. Do you want to try to stop or take out that hormonal contraception and give it three months and see if it returns to normal? And if it stays low, it more likely reflects a true value versus just a suppression. And so this is any type of hormonal birth control that causes hormones because they work by telling the brain to not send out FSH. So the most severe decreases we see are with combined oral contraceptives, that's the pill, the birth control implant, like the Nexplanon or the Implanon, the birth control ring, like the NuvaRing, progesterone-only birth control pills, or a hormonal IUD like the Mirena, Kylina, ones like that that make progesterone. A copper IUD is not hormonal, so it does not cause any drop, whether real or artificial, of your AMH. Okay, so I hear you listening saying, well, I don't understand. Why, if I have a low egg count, does that not cause infertility? And I hear you. So let's just take two people, both 30, and one of them has normal ovarian reserve and one of them has low ovarian reserve. So the person with normal ovarian reserve has about 20 eggs coming out of the vault every month. One of these will be chosen to ovulate and the rest of them die. Remember how the cycle works. Brain sends out FSH, which is follicle-stimulating hormone, well-named hormone that stimulates one of these follicles to grow. As the follicle grows, the egg matures, and then it ovulates. Perfect communication between brain and ovary allows just one egg most of the time, sometimes two, but usually just one egg to ovulate and to grow. The other person who has low ovarian reserve only has five eggs coming out of the vault. What happens in her? Brain sends out FSH, just enough to get one egg to grow. That egg grows, the egg matures, and ovulates. How many eggs are both 30-year-olds ovulating? They're both ovulating one. They both have the exact same chance of getting pregnant per month, which is around 20%. So when you read, are you here, AMH does not cause any infertility issues. Having a low AMH does not cause infertility, does not impact your natural fertility. That's a true statement, right? You have the exact same chance of ovulating as your age match peer, regardless of your AMH, as long as you're ovulating. The asterisk I will put here is as you start to get down into your very low egg counts, I will see that people will start to have a hard time ovulating or you will ovulate earlier in the follicular phase. Your lining won't grow as much because the egg grew faster. So you didn't have as much time to grow a lining. You might have more of an unstable lining or spotting in the luteal phase or luteal phase deficiency and you may have overall shorter together cycles. That is one of the only clinical signs that we see for somebody who has low ovarian reserve is a shortening or your cycles getting close together. So the history that always sparks my interest is the story that my cycles used to be like clockwork every 28 to 29 days, and now suddenly they've been every 23 to 24. That is low ovarian reserve unless proven otherwise, 
And if you are hearing this and you're an OBGYN or you're a family doctor or an internal medicine, or you're a nurse practitioner, you're anybody who takes care of patients, check an AMH on that person. You could change the entire trajectory of their life. Short cycles closer together. That to me is a low ovarian reserve unless proven otherwise. Also should get a prolactin and a TSH check. So just FYI. But that to me is a, I must rule out that you're running out of eggs. Because if you are running out of eggs, you deserve the opportunity to freeze them, to try to get pregnant, to do IVF, to save embryos for the future, or to intervene in some form or some fashion versus just passively letting it happen to you. Because it will. You will run out of eggs. And this is another point. If you go and you get your fertility tested, maybe you go to some AMH test or you ask your OB and somebody draws it for you and it's normal right now. This is only telling me about the right now. Granted, if it's low right now, shoot, I need to intervene now. But if it's normal now, it does not, one, mean that you're fertile, right? AMH has nothing to do with fertility. And number two, does not mean it will stay on this pathway of being normal later. It's like having one data point on a line but I have no idea the slope of the line or how steep it is. I don't know the rate you're losing them. I just know the right now. I don't know where you started. I don't know where you'll end up. So AMH or fertility testing at the moment is not predictive of the future. It's also not predictive of infertility. When I list off the things that cause infertility, blocked fallopian tubes, uterine abnormalities, issues with sperm, ovulation defects, poor egg quality or age-related infertility, none of those are you are running out of eggs or have low ovarian reserve. That does not cause infertility, but it complicates it. Because the other important thing to realize is that the eggs that are outside the vault in one given month, remember normally one ovulates and the rest of them die. Those are the only eggs I can get if I'm freezing your eggs or doing IVF. So in one round or one cycle, essentially one month of IVF, I am limited by what is outside your vault. So if I go back to my example where one person has 20 and one person has five, the person who's got 20 eggs could get 20 eggs with IVF and the person who has five could get five eggs with IVF. And those are drastically different outcomes because the success of IVF is dictated by how many eggs you have and how old you are. So if you have fewer eggs, you need to intervene probably with more cycles to get the same result. So you could have the same result as your friend who got 20 eggs but you would have to go and get five eggs from this month and then your five eggs from the next month and then your five eggs from the month after that and then your five eggs from the month after that. So you just had to put in four cycles for what your bestie could get in one. That was longer. It took time. It took physical, emotional effort and it took money. So it's not impossible, but it's a completely different strategy. And if you do nothing, you might very well be to the point where there are no eggs left. And everybody, I always say this is like a light switch. You might go from ovulating to having shorter irregular periods to just being done. And for every single person, there becomes a point when I can't make eggs grow. And the way I think about this is when those eggs come out of the vault, FSH is what normally comes from the brain to get one of them to grow. When we do IVF, we get the eggs outside the vault to grow by giving you high doses of FSH. If you don't have any eggs coming out of the vault, the brain is naturally 
already going to send out very high doses of FSH. So at some point, there's no eggs there. The brain's giving out all the FSH. I can't give out FSH and make eggs come. There's an in-between zone where we can lower your FSH and maybe we can get a few. And so that is why having low ovarian reserve, especially if you've not started your family, becomes somewhat of an urgency because we want to intervene while we still can so that you can still have the future you want. So it might result in you deciding to start a family sooner, freezing your eggs or freezing embryos. But at a minimum, it should include a fertility evaluation if you have a partner, semen analysis, uterine and tubal evaluation, and making sure you're ovulating. Because if your fallopian tubes are blocked and you're never going to get pregnant naturally, you need to do IVF sooner than later. And if you find out you have low reserve and you're single or you're not in a relationship at a state ready to get pregnant, we should strongly consider freezing your eggs if having a child is a goal for you. So I really stress people to think about big-term goals, and there's no right or wrong, but again, I want you to choose. So if your AMH is low, what are we going to do about it? Number one, we're going to do a complete fertility evaluation, make sure there's no cause of infertility that we don't know about. Regardless of if you've been trying to get pregnant, this is not the world or we let you go try to get pregnant for a year. We want to know all the data right now. Number two, we're going to talk hard about your goals. Are you at a place where you can start to get pregnant now? Have you been trying to get pregnant? How long? How many kids do you want? How old are you? Is this realistic with this AMH? Do we need to preserve your fertility, which means freeze your eggs or freeze some embryos? And how rapidly do we need to do this? If you're going to undergo IVF or egg freezing and you have low reserve, you should be talking to your doctor or making sure they're using some protocol for low ovarian reserve. I'll tell you, we have specific protocols for this, but I can't tell you how often I see a patient at another clinic on some high responder protocol they just use for all their patients. Similarly, if you go see a doctor, especially if you're young, if you're 37 and younger, and you go see a doctor and they say, because of your AMH, the only option for you is donor eggs, I would highly recommend a second opinion. You might choose donor eggs. Donor eggs might be the cheaper option for you, but the cheaper option and the best option, those are different questions that you're asking. And I will often have somebody come to me who said they said the only option was donor eggs, and those people now have babies because we weren't afraid to stimulate them using a low ovarian reserve protocol and giving them honest explanations that, hey, this may take more than one cycle to get there, but I think this is a battle worth fighting if having a genetic child is an important goal for you. Similarly, it's fine to say, I can't do four cycles, and maybe my money is better spent using donor egg. Fantastic, but then maybe you should try naturally a little longer, and even though the odds are low, are they not zero? What are they? So you need this really crafted plan from your fertility doctor who can talk you through everything, and if they're not giving that to you, get a second opinion. Call us at four if you want to. Get a second opinion. And then the last thing is that you really need to optimize your environment and your natural fertility as much as possible, even if you're doing IVF or egg freezing. If you don't have as many eggs, the quality of them matters so much. So I will give a plug that I do have a course. I'm so excited about it. The signup has been really phenomenal. It is Enhance Your Natural Fertility, and it's all about understanding your body and your lifestyle and the lifestyle interventions you can make to try to help your eggs be the best quality possible. You can find more details on my website, nataliecrawfordmd.com. But you need to understand how you can optimize egg quality the best. 
how do you do this? The foods that you eat, the supplements that you take, how stressed you are, the environment you expose your body to. Can you decrease your inflammation? Can you exercise? Can you sleep? It's really all of these variables put together. And genetics, the genetic stability of the eggs is so tightly tied with age. So that's both good and bad. And I tell patients, hey, 75% is just your age and you can't control that in any way. But you can control when you intervene. So you can intervene now versus waiting a few years. And the other part, maybe 25% is lifestyle or exposure. And you can control that. So let's control the things we can because life is so crazy. When we do this, what I want you to realize is that those eggs inside the vault are held in a stage of cell division which is called metaphase of meiosis, but essentially the chromosomes are lined up in the middle of your eggs, held apart by these little meiotic spindles, which are proteins. So proteins hold your chromosomes in place. And just like proteins in our entire body, as we get older, those proteins break down. And so what happens, those proteins break down, those chromosomes move spots, and now they're not lined up perfectly. And when you go to ovulate, you now no longer have the exact number of chromosomes that you should in your egg. That's called aneuploidy, an abnormal chromosome number. So egg quality really equals genetic normalcy. We do think that the eggs are most susceptible to lifestyle changes about 90 days before they're chosen to ovulate. I like to think about them as, you know, getting to the periphery of the vault and being really susceptible to what's going on outside of it. So I recommend those intense lifestyle changes if you can do it and do all the improvement that you can. Because you can't rewind the clock, but you can try to stabilize what is already there. And I have found people who make some big lifestyle changes and they do see a different result when it comes to IVF. Unfortunately, there's no test for egg quality. So we just have to presume your egg quality is that of what your age is. And if you're talking about doing fertility treatments or trying to understand your fertility, your doctor should be able to counsel you on what percentage of your eggs should be genetically normal and how that plays into your plan. Because not every egg that you get will be mature, will fertilize, will grow to an embryo, will be genetically normal, or will result in a live born baby. So it's really important to think through what these averages are based on your situation so that you can evaluate should you do multiple cycles. And I strongly recommend, if there's any way possible, you play the long-term game here too. I know maybe you wanted to be pregnant yesterday, but if you really want to have two kids or have siblings... You should really try to do the cycle as you can to save some embryos because if your ovarian reserve is low now, in a couple years, if you try this again, you're going to have worse quality eggs and you're going to have fewer of them. And does the math make sense? It's a personal question, but I always say if money was no object, if we could get a grant for this, if we could have the opportunity, that could change your family structure. There is no one way to get there. And I know IVF is really expensive and that limits its accessibility to everybody. And so sometimes we have to say, hey, that would be perfect, but this is all I can do now. And it's okay to do that. And then maybe you do add to your family later with adoption or with donor egg, or maybe you don't and you just have the one child. But I don't want you to have to sacrifice your dream without understanding what your options are. So that is what is most important to me that you are educated, you understand all aspects of your fertility, you know that you don't have infertility, you progress to treatment faster, and if having a genetic child is a goal, you do everything possible to make that happen before you run out of eggs. You should optimize your egg quality and talk about the long-term goals to see if you should make different changes now. All right, and now it is time for FFS, for fertility's sake. This is our weekly Q&A where I answer the questions that you ask each week. 
You can follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. And every Monday, there's going to be a question box. You can also call in and leave your question. You can call 657-229-3672. Again, that's 657-229-3672. And you can leave a voicemail with your question. Some of these questions will be selected each week to answer here on the podcast. All right. Does higher AMH always mean PCOS or can it mean anything else? This is the exact opposite of what we were just talking about. PCOS is polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it is essentially having a lot of eggs that are in the vault. That's my favorite way to describe it. And so what does the vault do? It sends out a lot of eggs then every month. And so all of these eggs actually dilute the signal of FSH from the brain and can make it harder to ovulate because none of these eggs gets a strong enough FSH signal. Similarly, the ovary gets bored since it's not making estrogen and the pathway to make testosterone starts to get favored. So you get this whole slew of other symptoms, acne, hair growth, central weight gain, and insulin resistance. High AMH is highly indicated of PCOS, but it could also mean you just have a nice robust egg count. So the short answer is that all patients with PCOS tend to have a high AMH. However, high AMH is not a diagnostic criteria for PCOS, and you can just have a high egg count without having PCOS. Remember to diagnose PCOS, you need two out of three, irregular periods, high number of follicles on ultrasound, and signs of high testosterone. So just having that high number of eggs on ultrasound with regular periods and no testosterone signs does not mean you have PCOS. All right, next, is there a difference in the follicles that are produced with Clomid versus Letrozole? Overall, no. So these are two really interesting medications. Both of them are used for ovulation induction or inducing ovulation. Clomid works by binding estrogen receptors in the brain. Therefore, the brain thinks there is no estrogen. And what it does in reflux is sends out a higher signal of FSH than would normally be sent out. Think about PCOS. Okay, great. Now I sent out a higher signal of FSH. So hopefully that is strong enough to get one of those follicles to grow and ovulate. Letrozole works similarly, but it decreases estrogen that is circulating in the periphery. The brain still senses a drop in estrogen, but it's not as profound as a complete blockage of the brain. So you still get an increase in FSH. Clomid is what's called a CIRM, a selective estrogen receptor modulator, and that's important because there's estrogen receptors in different parts of the body. You can get a thin lining. It's one of the side effects. It's one of the negatives of Clomid. And it can also have some pretty profound side effects because of that complete blockage of the brain. Letrozole is an aromatase inhibitor, meaning it inhibits one of the steps in making estrogen, and that's how it decreases it in the periphery. Both of these tend to mature follicles at slightly different sizes than both gonadotropins or injectable FSH and nature. So the mature size is a little bit different than nature, but they're not really different between each other. Letrozole does not have the negative side effects of Clomid, and is associated with a higher live birth rate for PCOS. And importantly, both of these medications alone are not helpful if you have unexplained infertility. So if you have ovulation issues, these are perfect. If you have unexplained infertility, letrozole or clomid are only effective in combination with an IUI. You do not have an increased chance of pregnancy if you have unexplained infertility and you just take clomid. So we do not recommend it for that situation. All right, next is do hot tubs affect sperm quality? Yes, they actually do. Hot tubs and saunas and anything that increases the heat to the testes actually does drop sperm motility, morphology, and can drop concentration. The testes are outside the body for a reason because sperm wants to be kept at a lower temperature. So I tell everybody who's trying to get pregnant, you actually should not sit in hot tubs or saunas 
living just in the hot world is totally fine, but you should not be submerging the testes into a hot environment on purpose. Next is what are your thoughts on the number of embryos transferred? I feel really strongly about this because the world has changed and IVF has changed, but not all doctors have changed. I am very committed, so is Fora, to having the highest chance of a live-born baby per every embryo that you have, and that is best achieved by not making your embryos compete against each other and by giving them the entire surface area of your uterus to implant and get a good implantation and make it to term. I'm a big believer in single embryo transfer, especially in the context of genetically testing your embryos. Let's just think about it. When IVF first came around, there wasn't a way to do genetic testing. And there wasn't a way to really reliably freeze your embryos. That technology has advanced immensely where almost every embryo survives the freeze-thaw, even if they've been genetically tested. And genetic testing can now be done where you're just removing a few cells from the stage of an embryo that's 300 cells. So back if we lived in a place where I said, hey, you're 40, 25% of your embryos are genetically normal. So most of them are abnormal. I don't have a good way to freeze them. I don't have a good way to test them. It made sense to put multiple embryos inside, try to give you the highest chance. But what we saw was high order multiples, twin pregnancy, twin losses. And so now that we can reliably identify the embryos that have the best chance, we want to give each one its own independent chance. I'll never say never. There's always situations that we have to personalize care to the patient. But typically the scenario where I would personally transfer more than one embryo are genetically untested embryos and somebody who's failed success in the past. And that's a different place than a genetically normal embryo. And so remember, we have your absolute best interest in mind. And if I can help you get to holding that baby in your arms, that's my goal. All right. And I'm nervous for IVF. I'm nervous about messing up the medications or the side effects. What advice do you have? I think this is such an honest scenario here. IVF is nerve-wracking. I think just craft a system. So whether it's printing out a calendar, making a checklist, having things done the same way every time are always going to be helpful. Set aside room in a spare bathroom or in your bathroom, or you can lay out all your supplies so you can see them and give yourself plenty of time to drop and to mix the medications. I find that administering the medications and not messing that up is the source of the biggest anxiety. There are tons of videos on YouTube and other places, so feel free to Google those. And you can watch mixing the medications if you forget. Your clinic probably should provide you some links and some resources. Also, side effects tend to not be that bad. So there are side effects from the IVF process, but most people experience just local discomfort from the injections. As your estrogen level gets higher, you will get some bloating and you might feel some pelvic pressure. Occasionally during suppression, if you're on birth control pills or Lupron, you might have some headaches or feel fatigued. But the worst time is actually after the egg retrieval. And that's because your body just went from really high estrogen levels kind of crashing down after we removed all those eggs. So I always warn patients, hey, that week after the retrieval, that's when you're actually going to feel the worst. So don't have your best friend's wedding or a big presentation at work or a big trip or anything planned during that time frame. Okay, well, I hope you liked hearing some of these answers for fertility's sake. Again, remember that you can request a question to be answered on Instagram every Monday at Natalie Crawford MD, or you can call our new voicemail and leave a message, 657-229-3672. Thanks, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. 
Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel, Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman. Hey guys, welcome to The Collective. I'm Brian Halfrich, a 26-year-old bioethics PhD student and clothing brand CEO. Welcome to my podcast where we talk all things health and wellness, navigating your 20s, and becoming the best version of yourself. So sit down, play that episode, and join The Collective. <laughs>